I just got nervous. <laughs> Hi, my name is Joseph Neeland, son of this man, Reese Neeland, and his wife, Mary Kay, who's, who's also my mom. Uh, <laughs> I know a lot of you, but I don't know everybody here, so I'm just going to briefly introduce myself. As Ralph said, I did grow up in this church, and it's wonderful. I, it's, it's, it is incredible. It's very special to speak for this group of people. Precisely because of that. I've known so many of you for so long. And there were people, I'm like, man, I really hope these people here, they're all here. Every one of you is here. So I'm really happy about that. Um, anyway, I, when I was, uh, I'm 29 years old now. I'm married to this Norwegian lady named Suniva. Suniva. Not Suniva, not Sivuna, not Su, Su, Suvina. Suniva. I think I just confused everyone more than they, they already were on how to pronounce her name. Her name's Suniva. I met her in Norway, where I lived for seven years. I moved there when I was 19, and that was to help start one of our sister churches in Bergen, Norway, which is the second biggest city there. So you know, being there and living there has shaped a lot of my experiences as a Christian. Very atheistic country. Hardly anyone believes in God. Hardly anyone's a Christian. Uh, reaching out to people is its own set of challenges because of that. And I could talk about that for a long time. I'm actually not going to talk about that because I've talked about that so many times. If you haven't heard it before, you've missed your chance. I'm sorry. I set my alarm this morning at like 7.30, but I ended up waking up at 7.30. I woke up much earlier. Why? It's not for any spiritual reason, actually. It's because I had a dream. I had a dream, a very stressful dream. I had a dream that I was going to preach today. <laughs> Which, I, which, came, which came true, so that's, that's good, okay. But not only did I dream that I was going to preach today, I dreamt that my father came up to me about 20 minutes before the service began and said, and sort of sprung it on me that I'm not just going to preach today, but I'm also in charge of all the music, and I have to not only pick all the songs, but I have to lead all the songs. I'm stressing out. It's really stressful because I think it's actually happening. Like, I don't, I'm not aware that I'm dreaming, so I'm flipping out, I'm like, Going through these books, like song books, oh, what am I going to choose? And I remember asking one of you, I don't remember who, I asked one of you, should I sing, should I lead Home in Heaven? Is that song tired or do we still sing that on Sunday? <laughs> to which I, the response was, that song's tired, you should choose a different song. I was banking on being able to lead that one. It was very, very stressful. I got so stressed out that I woke up. Thank you, Father. <laughs> Even in my dreams. Even in my dreams, this man. I want to share that with you all. It's part of my morning, and now it's part of your morning. So I'm going to preach a sermon today. I'm not just going to tell jokes. Jokes will be told. I don't write any of them down. They just sort of come to me while, while I'm up here. Anyway, I'm going to preach a sermon for those of us who are down. Maybe a little sad. Maybe a little disappointed in ourselves. You ever get that way in your Christianity? You ever get disappointed in yourself? Do you ever imagine God's disappointed face looking at you? Do you ever imagine Jesus' face? If He saw you, what face would He make? Would it be a disappointed face? Do you ever think like this? I definitely think like this. I decided to become a Christian as a 14-year-old. It's my people, my anomalies down here. Say what's up to my anomalies. Anomalies technically shouldn't all be together. They should be dispersed. <laughs> Just a little science. I studied physics, by the way. 
thought I'd share that. I'm just telling jokes again. Back to, we were talking about something serious. I became a Christian. I decided to become a Christian when I was 14. You know what sins I'd committed? Any little sins that a 14-year-old commits. You know? You know, when, when did you become a Christian? When you were 30? 35? 40? What had you done before you became a Christian? You'd done some pretty intense sins, I imagine. Things that 14-year-olds don't get mixed up in. Point being, when I became a Christian as a 14-year-old, I'd sinned up to that point. I was mean to Johnny, right? You know, maybe I was a little full of myself on the soccer field. I need to confess that. Oh, I'm going to confess. I was a little full of myself today. I made fun of that kid at school. It's like, okay, yeah, you shouldn't have made fun of that kid at school. Let's pray. Jesus loves you. Jesus forgives you. Come on. You got to repent. You got to change. Okay, I'm going to be nice to kids at school. The worst sins I've committed have been after I became a Christian. Easily. The worst sins I've committed. Things I'm not proud of. Things I've already told everyone about. Even in here. We could go into that. That would be a long, depressing speech. So suffice it to say that I've committed many sins since becoming a Christian. Now, no matter how old you are, no matter how old you were when you became a Christian, you can think about your Christianity and about from the day you got baptized until today, and I'm sure you can think of all sorts of things to be ashamed of. Am I right? And it's discouraging, right? How do we unite this with Jesus? How do we unite this with the Christian message? How do we stay motivated? Knowing that we're failures. We fail at Christianity all the time. Sometimes gravely so. Where is the Bible on this? Where is the Bible helping me on this? Okay, the Old Testament, huh? Full of stories of, of people that I feel like I can relate to, right? I can read about David. He sinned, that's for sure. That man wasn't perfect. Okay, I can read about him. I can say, okay, I want to learn from David, right? But that's, in my mind, in my sort of logic, well, that's the Old Testament. So, that's not really the Christianity, right? It's God's message, God's people, different time, not the Christianity. So, does it really apply to me, or is it just an inspiring story? Yeah, it implies in some ways, but where's the New Testament evidence, right? What New Testament characters can I relate to, to gain inspiration, motivation, that I can say, I know, I've been there, right? There happens to be one such person who I feel like I relate to very much, who maybe you all will feel like you relate to. It's one of my very favorite characters, Jesus. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Jesus is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. How about that? <laughs> Of course, he should be, obviously. I'm thinking about Peter, though. Yes. That man is a treasure trove of things that I can relate to. In some ways. All right, let's open the Bible. To John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Do I have... Oh. Okay. I guess I could face that way and read it aloud, but... Okay, here we are. John chapter 1, as it says there, verse 35. We're in the beginning with Jesus. He's finding people. He's recruiting. He's on the recruitment trail. Okay? Verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. It's Jesus. 
When the two disciples heard him say, say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that John had said and who, who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked to him, looked at him, Peter, that is, or Simon. He said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kephas, which means Peter. But Kephas doesn't just mean Peter or Cephas, however you want to pronounce it. It means rock. Did you know that? It means rock. Jesus saw Peter and said, you are a rock. That is pretty encouraging, isn't it? He's the Messiah. There's all this buildup. The Lamb of God. You're the Messiah. We want to follow you. You, Peter, you're a rock. That's incredibly motivating. Peter felt like the five-star recruit, didn't he? For all my college football fans out there. He's on the recruitment trail. He sees that guy. Now, that's a quarterback. That's an incredible quarterback. That's a, that is a wide receiver. You are a wide receiver. You're going to go far. Peter must have felt so validated, right? How did you feel when you first became a Christian? I can do this. This is the best decision I've ever made. I'm going to go under the water, come above the water again, and be a new man or woman. And I'm going to do this Christianity. I've made decisions. Okay? And I'm going to follow my decisions. I'm a new person. I'm not the same person I used to be. Okay? Jesus believes in me. Jesus died for me. I feel so motivated. I feel so strong. Who can relate to this? You felt that way, didn't you? Much like Peter did when Jesus said, Give us the rock. Okay, so how to go with Peter, right? How to go with him? He walked with Jesus for three years, physically with Jesus. That's encouraging. I have not physically walked with Jesus. Okay, Jesus is not physically here in the in a bodily form. And I haven't been able to walk with him and see him the way that Peter did. Peter had every opportunity. He was being trained by the best coach of all coaches. Okay? And it goes pretty well with him. Let's turn to Matthew tw- Matthew uh, 16. Let's go there. Peter didn't only do things wrong. I'm making it sound like that's all he did. He didn't. He did plenty of things right, didn't he? When he walked with Jesus. Here's one of them. Okay, here's a great moment for Peter. We're going to read about it right now. Matthew 16. Here we are in verse 13. When Jesus came to the reason of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his, he asked his disciples, Who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Got it right. None of the others got it right. He knew who Jesus was. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, the rock. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Peter got it right. You're the rock, Peter. 
As if, if we imagine Jesus sort of from a worldly standpoint, imagine him being like a football coach. I knew it. He threw five touchdowns. We were right to trust him. We were right to make him the starter, weren't we? Look at how well he's doing. He's proving that believing in him was the right choice, right? And it's easy to think of Jesus from that perspective. When I do something right, Jesus is proud of me. When I'm doing the right thing, when I'm making the right decisions, when I'm living the perfect Christian life, Jesus is proud of me and he might give a little speech if he saw me today. He might say, you were Joseph and you were awesome. You got it right today. You did everything right today. You know, I'm going to give you a reward of some kind. I'll get back to you on that. You know, we feel validated when we do the right thing, when we're living the right Christian life. What happens immediately after this? Who remembers? We're going to read it. All right, keep going. Immediately after this. Maybe it was right the next sentence. Actually, it seems that way. From that time on. Yes, okay. So immediately after this, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things, in, things of God, but the things of men. He might as well have thrown like ten interceptions. Like in a row. On the next Saturday. Throws five touchdown passes against South Carolina. Throws ten interceptions against Alabama. It's like, why did I believe in this guy? You're making me look bad. Right? Worldly perspective. Coach. Boss. Maybe even our parents at times. It's a painful topic for some of us. I wasn't right to believe in this person, after all. It seems he seemed so promising, but he dropped off, and now he's insignificant, right? That's how we think, because that's how the world works. And it's easy to project that picture of the world onto Jesus. But that's not the Jesus we're worshiping. Yes, he says the rebuke. He tells him, Peter, that's incorrect. You blew it. You messed up. But did Jesus stop believing in this man? Even though he'd failed so miserably. This is fundamental. Jesus needed to die and be raised. That was God's plan. Peter was completely out of touch with God's plan. Have you been there? Yes. But what happens next? He gives a speech to his disciples. It's a very good speech. I recommend reading it from verse 24 to the end of the chapter. But here we are, Matthew 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a mountain by themselves. And then the rest of the story, there's a miraculous event. You can read about it. It's called this transfiguration and it was an incredibly special event for only a few witnesses not all of his followers jesus didn't take all of his followers nope he took three and one of them was peter how would you feel you're still accepted you messed up you failed miserably jesus is not like your coach 
Jesus isn't like your boss. Jesus isn't like your parents. Jesus isn't like who you think he is sometimes. Jesus believed in Peter still. Jesus believes in you still. And this isn't even the biggest mistake that Peter made, is it? There's another event, a very, very serious event. I think we should read about it. We should read about this event. We've read it before, we're going to read it again. Matthew 26. Think of this in the perspective of this is one of Jesus' chosen, most dear friends, disciples, followers. Gave him the keys to the kingdom. There's a whole theological implication about that. I recommend studying it. It's very fascinating. It means a lot for us. Now, if you met a guy, became his friend maybe a month ago, and then later found out he was kind of embarrassed about knowing you publicly, you'd say, man, that guy's not a great friend. But I at least have my other friends, right? My real friends. My friends that will never leave my side. I can tell them anything. You have those kinds of friends, perhaps. The ones you know are going to stick with you. Now, if that friend betrays you, that is an entirely different experience altogether. And that's happened to some of us. We've made deep friendships and they've betrayed us. Do you want to go back to that friend? Some part of you wants to repair it, perhaps, but there's another part of you that's like, I can't believe you did that to me. I can't ever look at you the same again. Not really. Not after such betrayal. What you did, what you said. It hurt. And I don't know if our friendship can survive that. Right? That's a thing that happens. Once again, some of us have experienced that. Let's read about a betrayal. Alright? Here we are. Matthew 26. Verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, he said. she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another girl saw him, and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again. With an oath! I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up, up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. In another account of this, there's contact made one of the other gospel writers I don't remember which one said that at that moment Peter and Jesus made eye contact can you imagine the shame knowing that you've been caught at something like that can you imagine can you put yourself in Peter's shoes and begin to feel some of the self-loathing that he must have felt at that moment. The immense disappointment in oneself that he must have felt. Surely it was over at that point. It, 
how could you how could you recover from that? Right? I could speak more on this, but I think that it's quite self-explanatory. This is a low moment. Think about your Christianity. Connect this with your lows. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you don't know if God still wants you on His team. Maybe you don't know if Jesus would give you a hug or push you away if He saw you today. We have biblical evidence to believe in a loving, forgiving Jesus beyond anything we can experience with each other on this earth. Let's go to John 21 to find that evidence. I'm looking for evidence. I'm looking for proof. Can I justifiably believe that Jesus still wants me? John 21, this is another whole thing, this conversation. It's quite deep. There's a lot we could talk about, about what the implications are, theologically, etc. I just want to focus on one thing, though. John 21, verse 15. Now, Jesus had died on the cross. Okay, so Peter betrayed Jesus, said, I don't know who he is. That whole awful scenario took place. Then Jesus went to go die on the cross. Then he was buried, and three days later, as he predicted, he rose from the dead. Okay? He rose, as he predicted, proving once and for all that he is the Son of God and the Messiah. And where did he go? He went to go find his friends. He went to go find the twelve and the other disciples. And he spent time with them for a while. Uh, He talked with them. Can you imagine being Peter, though? A little guilty, maybe? Ooh, he came back. I'm so happy, but... I'm so happy he's, he's there. <sighs> Will we be able to have the same relationship? Last time we talked, or last time we interacted, didn't go so well, right? What's Jesus' attitude going to be? I'd be a little bit timid. I'd be a little bit worried. Wouldn't you? Verse 15, when they had finished eating, because they'd eaten together, okay? They caught a bunch of fish and they ate together. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, he's pressing him a little bit, Jesus. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, third time pressing him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. Okay, there's a lot we could focus on there. But what's happening here? Jesus is reconciling. Jesus took the initiative to reconcile the relationship with Peter. I still believe in you. You're still my starter. You're going to die to glorify God. You're not only going to die to glorify God. There's a lot Jesus didn't say here that Peter ended up doing. How do we know that Peter was still believed in? It's because we can see not long after this in Acts chapter 2 that Peter delivers the speech that brings in the Christianity 
that we experience today. That's a whole theological thing. I recommend studying it. It means a whole lot to us. That speech that Peter gave. He stood up bravely in front of everybody and preached that Jesus died for a reason. Jesus raised for a reason. We need to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus preached the sermon that tells us what to do if we want to become Christians. Peter delivered it. Jesus believed in Peter. No matter how down, no matter how low it got, no matter how bad the relationship ended up being, and yes, it was very, very bad. If Jesus believed in Peter, then you can know that Jesus believes in you. How do we experience grace today? How can I experience grace today? I I don't see Jesus physically. I can't have that same sort of conversation. I had a really hard talk with one of my very good friends. Well, he had a really hard talk with me. He made it sound like I was helping someone. That's not what happened. He was helping me. You ever have those conversations with another Christian? It's a hard conversation. There's something you need to talk about. There's something I need to help you with. There's sin we need to talk about. How does that feel? How do those conversations feel? They're agonizing, aren't they? It's no fun to sit there and be pointed or or to be explained to there's some things about your life that desperately need to change. It was a very hard talk. It was embarrassing. I felt ashamed of myself as a Christian. And I don't like having those talks. And we don't like having those talks. We oftentimes, we avoid those talks, don't we? We don't want to give that talk to someone else. And we don't, definitely don't want to receive that talk, do we? But how do we experience grace today? How do we experience it? Do, we, do, we, do I really experience grace by hiding who I really am? By hiding my sins? By trying to project a picture of me that looks really good? And say, okay, well, you know, there's grace there and it kind of covers me and, you know... We know we try to lie to ourselves sometimes, right? The shame that we feel. What do we do with it? It's one thing to read the Bible and see that Jesus believed in Peter, but there was an interaction between Jesus and Peter, right? Jesus isn't here physically to interact, but we have each other. And we can point each other toward Jesus' forgiveness and toward Jesus' acceptance. I I told my friend... I don't want to talk about these things because I'm so ashamed of them. And he said, he said, the only way to really experience grace is to be open and experience the acceptance of Jesus. And I burst into tears. I do cry. Who said I don't cry? Where are you? <laughs> I don't cry often either, actually. But there, there's tears came welling here. Because it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming to know when someone chooses to believe in you despite the ways that you know that you may have hurt them. It's an emotional experience, isn't it? And if you hide and cower, you'll never experience that acceptance. There's a lesson in this. We need to have those relationships with each other. That's the way out. When did anyone find the way out? By hiding. That's how you just stay in. Right? 
That never got you anywhere. You're stuck. Why am I stuck? I can't be spiritual. I can't be strong. It's because you're hiding. You're not experiencing grace. No one's pointing you toward Jesus' love and acceptance. It's not about my relationship with Him, my friend. It's about my relationship with Jesus. And when I have sin in my life that's not being talked about, I, I can't see Jesus. Not really. I can try, but things bounce off my hard heart. My heart needs to soften. And that's one of the reasons why we have each other. I know it's painful. You may be thinking, oh, there's this thing and I don't want to talk about it. And What are they going to say? Yeah, it's important that when someone's talking to you, you need to point this person toward Jesus' acceptance and love. We need to help each other see that we're forgiven. We don't need to reflect God's wrath. How can you do that? You can't reflect God's wrath. You're not God. Okay? Let God reflect His own wrath. Alright? Leave that to God Himself. We need to point each other toward Jesus. And I've made decisions based on that conversation that I feel great about that I was not making for a while. I wasn't making those decisions. But now I am because I feel the acceptance of Jesus. I just want a relationship with Him. I want to be close to Him. That's, that's, this other, other things, they don't really make me happy. You know? So there's this, um, there's a verse here in 1 John. We're going to end with this. 1 John 1, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. That's Jesus. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. I want this man, this woman on my team. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Thank you very much. Have an awesome Sunday.